On today's episode, Dave interviews Peter McKenzie. Peter has been in Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23, Mad Men, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was also in the films It's Complicated, One Hour Photo, and Good Morning Vietnam. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. There's a part of you that feels what? There's a part of me that feels a, you know, a bit like a phony. I'm, de- I'm mm-hmm. delighted to sit on chat, but it feels like, you know, my... I listened to Kenny Campbell and to Evan and to mm-hmm. Steve Carell when you did these interviews. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like this wonderful visit down mm-hmm. memory lane with these guys. Right. Oh, and the touring but thing. You, None talking. of that shit happened with me. None of but it. But you are, <clears> but <throat> you're, you're talking, put this over there because they smell so good. Um, <laughs> it doesn't smell so good. Um, the piece of pizza. Uh, you, you just listened to people that I knew. No, I know. I know. Right. And people that I know. I mean, we share right. this common ground right. of the world of improv. So I mm-hmm. backed into that through Kenny Campbell. Right. And so I feel like, you know, I feel like uh, someone... In the world of improv, you know, like someone asked me to their wedding and I don't right. really belong, you know, but I just, I kept showing up. No, no. And but was, the thing is like, and that's what happened. And that's how I know you. Right. I know you because right. you kept showing up. Um, <laughs> and that's, the, and that also has to do with what I, looking at your, um, looking at uh, that wonderful list of what you've done, you keep showing up. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you keep getting work, and you keep showing up. Well, you, you know, uh, the balder and the fatter I get, and the whiter I get. I think hopefully the more I work, you know what I mean? Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then some people like Ian Gomez start out that way, bald, yeah. fat, and white. Although he's yeah. he's a little brown. He's got a, he's got a little brown. Yeah. The Jew in him separates <laughs> that. Um, but if you listen to other people that I've talked to, um, uh, that I didn't that I didn't really know, like Edie McClurg and uh, Tom Dreesen, who was my mm-hmm. first guest. Do you know Tom? I don't. Tom. He opened up for 14 years. He opened up for this guy named Frank Sinatra. And he was actually, mm. my, he's a stand-up. So, and also, because uh, uh, Mike Bunin, you, I listen yes. to Mike's and I know Mike and you did a lot of Vegas stuff. And yeah, Mike is Johnny Vegas, you know. Mike knows, is, is Johnny Vegas. I think he and would a great really guy. a good name for him. Johnny <laughs> Vegas. Johnny Vegas. Johnny yeah. Vegas. Uh, this is what I, what I keep coming back to in terms of like why I have the people that I have. I just want to say that I just interviewed this woman named Tamara Holder. I was just in New York and I interviewed this woman named Tamara Holder. It's probably going to have already been out by the time this comes out, but freshly. Um, uh, she was a student of mine in Chicago and in one class. And she said, I'm, I was hired by Fox News to be the liberal contributor on Hannity. Oh, and, and, so uh, she's a sacrificial lamb? They, she, she said people call herself a liberal punching bag. And, uh, and I said, I hope you don't see yourself that way. And she said, well, I don't. As long as the checks don't bounce, punch away. Yeah, right? but still, yeah. you know, when it comes to that sort of stuff, I, I, that's got to be one of the toughest jobs because it's sort of, it, you're just in the middle of things. And I know we get paid to do things <laughs> like, we get paid to do a lot of stuff that we don't, give them the opportunity if you said, okay, this is the role that you're going to play. Or this oh, yeah. You're going to play. You're going to go, I'm going to do that. Because right. it's just a moment of your life. But it's not like we're flying you out to be the liberal punching bag for a three-year contract. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's the golden handcuffs which is what Hollywood is. Like, you do something that may be horrible, but at least you can buy a house with it. And you go, oh, well, I'll drop trial. I'll go ahead do that, you know. I mean, uh, Grant, my one best friends is a guy named Graham Beckel. He's a character actor forever and ever. And his brother is Bob Beckel, who ran... Uh, Mondale's campaign mm-hmm. and is uh, one of the liberal punching bags on Hannity. Right, I know Bob, him. Bob Beckel, yeah. and he kind of just this thing. So, I mean, yeah. I listen, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm uh, way to the left in terms politically, so I listen with Hannity with kind of grinding of teeth, 
But I listen because Bob's on the show, and Bob is there trying to do the right thing. And Bob is also, you know, goes on Fox and is allowed, you know, get beaten up. So this idea of being the liberal punching man, maybe they just want someone that's cuter and your friend who's doing she that. Is, yeah. she, she's <clears throat> very adorable, and yeah. uh, she's really lovely. Uh, but it's what gets me is how do you live your life? Because I get so worked up over it, and and as <laughs> over, far as over over, over, over that political, compromise, no, oh, over oh, the oh. political that it's not political. The political screaming, oh. and I am guilty of it as well. I am really, yeah, I am guilty. I don't of it know, too. David. I just, I gotta say, I don't listen to it. I mean, really, it, it seems like it's calling kind of the same noise. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that there's a, a guilt to. Kind of sticking your head in the sand, which is to say, you're you're then you let the evil happen. You know, if you just let Hitler rise and no one does anything, but um, I it, it's so depressing and it's so it's so depressing. Or I, I find yeah. the rhetoric is so depressing. The yes. rhetoric is like the only way these idiots get on the air is being way to the right and way to the left, and right. really. It's about ratings. It's about entertainment. It really comes down to doing nothing more than being married with children. If I am the right-wing Hannity or whomever, and I don't have a show where I can't get 20,000 people calling up then on the air, and my and my ratings don't go up, I'm out of jobs. So right. my job is to pour gasoline, uh, gasoline on the fire. Right. So, I don't know. I just, the whole thing seems about another form of entertainment. It does. Politics, you know, I mean... And and uh, uh, Glenn Beck was one. Of oh, Glenn God. Beck said he was the one that said, I'm, "I'm responsible for the cleaving." And I don't say cleaving in terms because cleaving is a weird word because it also means bringing together. But in this part, it's it's cleaving, halving the country. He said, "I'm responsible for that because," and he is because he was the one that was most bellicose and mm -hmm. the most you know, angry about the whole thing and people that started getting ratings and people started to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right. But Limbaugh. he was also with what's his name? Not uh, Morton Downey Jr. Sure. Do you remember him? Sure. It sure. was another one where you go, What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I know. And then you don't you feel a little bit though, after you listen or watch these shows, you don't feel wiser. You feel riled up, roiled right. up. But you don't. I feel kind of dirty afterwards. Well, it's like I'm watch some train wreck that I went there and knowing it was going to happen, and the train wreck happened, and like people died, and what did I? What was I doing? Am I? It, did the train wreck happen because I was there? Right. If I don't listen to the backs, and no one will give a shit. I mean, so the whole thing is just that's not really politics. It's people commenting on politics and wanting to have a political impact. Right. But that's not really politics. You know I, I mean? still watch I do watch Rachel Maddow. <clears throat> I watch her religiously. Mm -hmm. And um and I do. And it's the one show that I can say I watch yeah. the most of. I watch her religiously. And and I guess anybody who who's in this can say, well, at least I'm learning something from it. Because I'm sure there are people watching Hannity so. and all yeah. those things saying, I think I'm learning something from it. Well, but what I'm also noticing is there isn't that shouting that goes on on her show right. that is right. on other shows. Yeah, true, absolutely, yeah, which is nice. Which is a nice relief because you get the feeling it's not just histrionics for the sake of histrionics. Clearly. But, I, you know, I, I still, I moved here in 91 and I, and I still read the New York Times. I still miss New York City, so I still am in denial that I've lived here for however many years. And so a lot of my left-wing politics still come from that rag, you right. know. <laughs> you know, so and it is, and they do get it wrong sometimes. Oh yeah, and sure. When they, and and they do get it wrong, and 
uh, I, for me, Snopes is my best friend. That's Snopes.com. When somebody mm -hmm. says something, I go immediately go to Snopes before I go, right. oh, what are you talking about? There was a man who ate a building. What's wrong with that guy? It's like, no, there was no man who ate a building. Right. Which, by the way, is a game show that I really want to do. Mm -hmm. You have two families. Right. And they live side by side. And their houses are exactly the same. They're both made the same way. Say it's a two-bedroom house. Say it's a family of a husband, a wife, and two kids. Mm -hmm. Same age, same family, you know, same weight. Each, each, pretty much is the same weight. Right. Same metabolism, those right. kind of things. <laughs> now, they have, this is a game show, they have four years. No, I think I made it eight years. Eight years. And if they, the first family that accomplishes this thing in eight years will get $16 million. Sure. They have to eat their house. Right. Well, there's a disease, you know, there's a disease, pica. Pica it, is a disease that where people eat things. It's I would, a then neurological I would, then I would disease, say yeah. The, the I think someone did already this game show. It's called Romeo and Juliet. I think that's the Montagues and the, isn't the that the... That, that's more symbolic. <laughs> You're actually going I'm, for the I'm literal. literally yeah. eat the house. Literally eat the house. I see. I thought and, you were... I see. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is, they, they, have, they have eight years and they get $16 million right. to eat the house. Now people go, that's crazy. And I'm like, really? Is that crazy? Because I have a feeling there are a lot of television shows that you go, that, that eight years before them being made, you'd say, there's mm -hmm. an idea for a show. But you mentioned Married with Children. Um, <laughs> and, and for me, that, that for me was the same kind of train wreck. Where I would watch that show and I'd go, I don't feel good about watching that mm. show. Mm. And to look at the people that were on that show, the actors that were right. on that show, yeah, that were right. they're phenomenal yeah. actors. Well, when I came here doing, doing Herman's Head with Kenny Campbell and mm -hmm. Hank and... Uh, Hank Azaria, right? Molly Hagan, oh, Billy yeah, Ragsdale, yeah, all these yeah, great people. Yeah. We followed uh, Married with Children. And a critic, when our show opened, once described our audience mm -hmm as those people who were too drunk to turn the channel after Married with Children. Those are the, those are the people that we captured, you know. Right. Yeah, so right. that was obviously what Whit Thomas was targeting, you know, the drunks. Of, and I don't yeah. think that even, because right now I'm reading a book called Beautiful <laughs> Mess or Beautiful Ruins. Beautiful Ruins, which is essentially um, right now, I'm in the middle of the book, and right now it's about uh, a, a producer and the crap shows that he puts up. He, <laughs> Cookbook and it's right. it's like it's a Facebook, but it's about hookups and you know that sort of thing. And you go, people will watch it. People will watch it. And I think every generation, there's somebody standing on in their second floor apartment yelling, "You kids, get off my lawn and turn that music down. It's noise." Right. Sure, Archie Bunker. Right. right. Or not even Archie Bunker, but just somebody, a white guy getting old who got too old, and one day went, <laughs> "I, I, I oh, what happened to music?" Right. <laughs> well, I think too, you know, I think it seems like there's this kind of prevalent thing, which is everyone's trying to create that game show or that reality show right. or that, you know, like forever in Hollywood, the new sitcom that's going to, uh -huh. and because we're all here <clears throat> in Hollywood, you know, with our, our bottle hoping that we, to catch lightning in it, you know, and we're all here. So there's this kind of madness associated with everyone, you know, that old saying, everyone is an actor in L.A. until proven innocent. Everyone's a writer in L.A. until proven innocent, you know. So, and what, so you get, so you are on that bitch in what, room 21. What's the Yeah, the bitch in apartment 23. The bitch in apartment 23. Right. I never saw the show. Mm -hmm. um, but you were on that show for three seasons? 
Uh, you know, they did it for two seasons. In two seasons. Yeah, yeah. Two seasons. Now, Rima Walker and Kristen Ritter. So, you're, so there's this, what's the, I, I'm not even talking about the show because I don't really know it. Sure. What's the joy that you get? Because it can't just be money, Peter. It just can't be money when you do that. You know what I mean? Well, when you say, well, getting lightning in a bottle, that's one thing, but there's also, you know, for you to... What well, look at, look at, let's just, I, I, th I was thinking about this. I mean, I, 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 I'm not skirting the answer to the question, but you, can you and it. I ran into each other at a, an audition right. for Schwimmer's show, for right. an, which was called an improv show. <clears throat> and I always thought this was interesting to me because now, given what Curb did and, you know, a quote-unquote improv show, right? Would Curb you, enthusiasm. Would uh -huh. you say Curb was also a, an improv show or no? I would say <clears throat> it was a show that was creating material through improvisation. Okay. So, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is, you know, and it is often during, you know, the course of you, you'll see the show saying, oh, it's an improv show. You have to, and I don't know what your experience was, was like in that room, because we haven't seen each other since we said, hey, come, hey, and kissed and said, right. do the podcast. Right. But my experience just kind of blew my mind a little bit in that room, because, you know, uh, it was playing a doctor and the idea. And so the casting director says, okay, so here's the thing. And you meet the sister of a patient you have to sell your car. You don't really want to sell her your car, but you are going to sell her the car. And she wants to go for a test drive, and you agree. She drives off with the car. She comes back, and the whole left side is all crooked up. And you say, what the hell is going on? And she says, oh, well, I didn't even notice it. Did something wrong. And then you don't get too big with your reaction to how you react to her. Right. But then she's not going to buy the car, but you let her say, whoa, you have to buy the car. Right. And finally, she, she buys the car. So... They sketch out the entire thing. Right. They just haven't written the dialogue. Right. And they even modify. I don't know with you were in the room, but they modified like when you when she comes back and you see the fender, don't get too big. Right. It's just we want, we're really looking for normal here, and so it's like if you fucking people can't write it, you just want us to write it. Is this what improv means? Because it's not like okay, you're a doctor, woman, and test driving your car, and go. Right. Right? right. There's none of that. It's like, ba bum ba bum and then we're going to tie your left hand, we're going to tie your right hand, we're going to tie your neck, we're going to take your tongue, we're going to do... Th and it's like, now you can improv with your left eye. Go. You know? Right, right, it's fucking right. crazy. I know, it's just I know. Like, it's like there's a cachet, if you will, to improv in sitcom world now, and that cachet is improv. We're right. just like wacky. We're making it up. And all it is is... You fucking people haven't written it. You just can't come up with a joke. So you want the Dave Rosowskis of the world who to come can't get in. booked on those shows, by the way. Oh, I didn't get booked on that show either. I know. So. I, I, I didn't get booked on Curb either. <clears throat> I didn't get booked on Curb. Did you get booked on Curb? I did a Curb, yeah. So for me, I, I, I auditioned for that show five fucking times. Yeah, no, and no. I'm in the room with, with, with Larry. And Jeff. And, and Jeff Garland, Larry Dave, Jeff Garland. And I'm in the room with those guys, and I'm thinking... And I do a scene with, with Larry, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, where I'm doing a scene with Larry, and you know, he's like, here's your coffee. He's like, what do you mean here's my coffee? I'm going, and I'm thinking to myself, how did he get so angry when I just said coffee? And as an improv teacher, I'm going, it's kind of a non sequitur. And you're just being mad, just be mad. Right. But right. that is what that show is about. That yeah. show is about how egregiously crazy that guy can be. Larry and can be. Go, and that's that why guy? people tuned in. What's that? Right. People tuned in right. because Larry was going to take his personal car and slam it into something. Right. Right. Whatever right. it is. Right. And we just watch that show to see what's Larry going to take his car and slam into. Right. You know, whatever it is. Right. Um, right. Right. So going back to the question. So going back to Bitch in Apartment 23, I did that job, David. I have uh, No, I'm going to say oh, this. Oh, sorry. I'm going I'm 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 to adjust the question. Sure. Because the question is, 
Yes, there's an awesomeness. Were you recurring on that? Just recurring, yeah. yeah. You're, you're recurring. So you're recurring on that show. Mm -hmm. And you cast in it. It's lovely to hear the words, you're booked. Oh, my sure. God. Right? Sure. Right? Uh, what is it that you get out of that? Because it's, what do you get out, what do you get out of that job? What do you get out of that job? Aside from money, because we talk about money and the lightning in the bottle and all, the, all that sort of stuff too, but as a journeyman, and I look at you right. as a journeyman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I look at you as a guy right. that, was, that was consistently right. working. And when I see you, it's just so exciting because you're consistently working. And the nachis, which is a, a Latin word, which means joy, <laughs> that I got out of that. Nachis is, I is really, the plural, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Conjuncted by this, yeah. this word. So it's that, um, is that, oh, Peter's working again. Peter's, oh, look, it's Peter. Peter gets so excited about it. What do you get about it? What do you get out of it? Uh, you know, um, I think it depends on the job. When I do a guest star on a show, I don't care what it is, half hour, hour. I mean, the majority of the money I make when I'm not a series regular is on hour-long shows, playing the snarling white man, right. right? And to me, it's just like being a waiter at someone else's wedding. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really to get out of it other than I'm not a barista at Starbucks. So what do I get out of it? Right, that's, that's I'm still working as an actor. Got it. Um, it's not, it's satisfying that I'm still working as an actor, but it's not particularly satisfying. That's what I, right. As you come along, if, if, um, you know, someone once said to me years ago that if, if your career is a field of snow that has covered everything and there's a fence in that field and there are signposts, you know, the posts of the fence that hold the barbed wire, those little, what are those little sign, those little posts in your life that stick out of the snow mm -hmm. that as you're just going along and going along and it's nothing, it's nothing. Those are the things that, by staying as working as an actor, there are roles that come along that the bitch in apartment twenty three, that doing um, CSI or doing these shows to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And I have two kids in college, right. and I had three kids in college, so it's just like drop pants and be a whore. Got it. <clears throat> got right? it. Got it. Got then it. occasionally you go, wow, now this is a role that's fucking great. I can't believe I'm sitting what, what here. Part, what part was that? What about the Lord of the Rings uh, thing that you did? The Lord of the Rings thing, uh, that was an improv sketch. No, I never did the Lord of the Rings What was thing. it? You no. did something like that. You did, you did, you did. You had one of those, you were in one of those movies. I wish I was in Lord of the what, Rings. What, you were I mean, in one of those I, movies. Weren't you in one of those no, movies? No, 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 Hobbiter. Believe me, I, that would have been, that's, that would have been Why a cash cow. I like, think I read that. No, I mean, the, I think, you know, I, I, I was lucky I worked with Jack Lemmon years ago. Mm -hmm. we, we worked together. And that was, you know, it was a remake of Inherit the Wind. Mm -hmm. And just to hear Jack Lemmon and Georgie Scott tell these stories. Because it was, we shot this old-fashioned way. We shot uh, Donald Petrie directed. So we would come to the table. It was a courtroom Wait, drama. Donald Petrie. I thought. He, I think he directed Nia's movie, My Big Fat Creek West. His son. His son. And Donald Petrie Jr. Donald Petrie is an old-time Hollywood, now dead, uh, who did the remake of Inherit the Wind. Right. What part did you play? I just played one of the guys, one of the people who testifies at the Scopes trial. Uh -huh. and, but they kept us there back, and this was back in whenever the hell it was, late 90s, and they paid us for the run of the picture. You had Because it's all shot in a courtroom. Right. So even when you're not testifying or you're not talking, you're there as a schmuck in the background. But the great thing was we just sat and we listened to these Georgie Scott stories and talking about being in The Hustler and Jack Lemmon talking about... I mean, it was just, I was just like, uh, I was shaking. You know, I was yeah. like going, this is, I can't believe this is actually happening. Right. I, I, those are moments where you, right, right. Right. And, and to me, it's right. like, I was just like, we'd sit and table read what we're going to shoot that day. And then we'd have breakfast and George would show up. It was the last thing he ever did before he died. And mm -hmm. with a 
glass of scotch at 7.30 in the morning and mm-hmm. steak and eggs and cigarettes. And right. Weird that he died of a coronary. I don't, I don't get that. Um, Some things are random where the, the day doctors after, just can't see The day after happening. the Oscars. But having these two guys there was like having your own milk cow. Right. You know, just going, and you just egg them on. I'm like, dude, what was it when you did... When you were Dr. Strangelove, some like it hot. Some what like was it that? hot. What was that? What was it like working uh, the with the apartment? It was like crazy, and, and Jack was just so forthcoming and lovely. And but he, but the day after the Oscars, whatever year this was, was the year that um, Life is Beautiful. The, yes, uh, the uh, Benito Roberto Benini wins. Right. So here's Georgie Scott who turned down, refused to go to the Oscars when he won for. Patton. Right. It's the only unclaimed Oscar in the history of the Oscars because he thought it was ridiculous. And really it is. The fact that, you know, suddenly Dave Rizowski's up for an Oscar and I'm up for an Oscar. Fuck Dave Rizowski. I'm going to fuck. Like, the, we can quantify your performance and, you know, whatever the hell it is. And mine, we have to. But it's just now it's so. But George came from this other school. Like, you don't reduce what we do to a competitive thing. So he turned it down. So the day after the Oscars, he comes in, he goes, anyone see that? That little guinea prick. That little Dago bastard jumping on the seats when he got up. Did anyone see that shit? And we're like, uh, yeah, George, we saw it. Yeah, yeah. That little dancing guinea Dago pr- going on and on like this. Well, what we all knew and what George might have known but had forgotten was that Roberto Benini was staying in Jack Lemon's house. <gasps> <laughs> right? So Jack is just looking at him, just doing a Jack Lemon smile, and just going, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah. So it's this wonderfully, like, weirdly, and, you know, George is, he's made a mockery of it. He made a mockery, that dancing guinea, you know. Um, but that, you know, that that is, uh, that was a good work experience. I worked with Meryl Streep doing um, um, uh, this movie called um, Something. Yes, it's complicated. Playing yes, her shrink. Yes. yes and yes, that was amazing. Yes, that yes, was amazing yes, because Yes. You know, I never get nervous working with people and I was nervous working with her like a like I don't know what, like a shaking But like, these are human beings too. Human beings, but she's the best of the best. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. so I didn't want to be I didn't give a shit about being good. I right. just didn't want to be bad. I didn't want to be the one she goes, um, could so you So what do you do there? So in a situation like that, how do you take all of that, mm-hmm. all that, oh, the history that you know about this person, the movies that you've seen, and how she's the best of the best, and you are in a scene with her? Improv. What is it that... Improv. Improv. Yeah. Improv. Because, you know, finally, the words are the words, and the, you know, uh, Nancy Myers is going to direct, and it's a scene that went on forever and was horribly long, but... By listening, mm-hmm. by listening, and by staying in touch with her, and and just in the scene, right? It's all just about listening. I'm her therapist and doing the scene. But outside of that, just trusting that you know who I am, and is gonna. She is just lovely and charming and available. Right. She could have been, you know, wrapped herself up, and fourteen people showed up, and she was just like you say, a normal, lovely person. And so, so it just it just was about being present and being listening to her and just listening and just when we're when we're working being present when we're not working being present, you know. It's and, such an important thing because when you're saying that when I ask the question, I'm thinking I wonder if it's about being present because that's all that it is is seeing what it is 
pardon me, it's seeing what it is that you're seeing and only seeing what it is that you're seeing. And what I mean by that is you're seeing what it is that you're seeing, you're hearing what it is that you're hearing, you're listening to what it is that you're listening to, and you're not listening to the voices in your head, you're not listening to cinema history, you're not listening to your expectations, (laughs) your doubts, your comparison, you're listening to that person. And it's an, it, 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 it's, um, but that's a a human, but that's a human thing. I mean, I think, I think. What's a human thing? The idea of being present, listening, and but not... that's the hardest thing, Peter. It's the hardest. It is thing. because if you if you go to a if you go to a Starbucks and someone next to you says, "Oh, look, I like your socks," and then you start chatting with them, right? I have no history who this person is who likes my socks. I can either choose to say, "Dude, I'm not interested. I got a thing. Fuck off. I'm not going to talk about my socks," right. or I'm going to say, "Hey, yeah, where'd you? Why do you like? It? Oh, you're from Italy. That's cool. We're in Italy. Right. I mean, you either want to engage or you're a person. So I'm not worried about the Starbucks." past history so it's just like getting to that place with her or whom you work with right like it doesn't like you say i can't go oh my god no. i just loved you i loved you right? <laughs> you know right. but at a certain point um she has to kind of be the other ball player like good improv she if she's not going to throw the ball back i got nothing clearly and i also my pov is that a lot of people a lot of like stars always are kind of have their deflector shields up because most people want something from them. Right. And I just wanted to, don't want anything. I'm just here doing the scene, baby, just doing the scene. So I think it's like, uh, hey, listen, Meryl, uh, do you mind if I have a friend who lives in can they come and like, no, 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 I don't want anything, baby. I don't, you know what I mean? And I think because I get that, actually, I'm not a star, but I get that, that people are like, "Uh, can you sign my autograph? Do you mind to come over and take a picture and whatever it is? And there's enough craziness when you're trying to work. Right. And it actually, the working with her, you know, I've been an actress for uh, 30 years, 30-something years, and working with her made me realize what a bad actor I am. What does that mean? Because, um, because, so so you asked about doing these, you know, whatever it is, the whatever, the bitch in apartment 23, I recur on this show, The Heart of Dixie, which are all great shows to pay the bills. But mm-hmm. you kind of get lazy. You know, you don't get lazy in terms of the execution of the work. Mm-hmm. I get lazy in terms of the preparation of the work. Right. And the, and so we're drinking, and I'm working with Miss Streep. I know this, I didn't, but working with her. And so prior to doing the scene, it's a scene where just one-on-one, and she has a scene where she says, you know, I said, well, what do you want? She said, well, I don't know if, you know, my ex-husband, if it means this or if it means that. This is the, the, the dialogue. The actual dialogue, and it's complicated. And there's nothing in her dialogue that indicates that there's anything emotionally going on. But she found something and turned it on and became so emotional and so vulnerable and just surprises you, right? But without being like, I'm going to grandstand in the moment. Right. Because I think it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment that she found in the dialogue that never said she tears up, she cries, but she just became emotional and when you I think you know the truth of when we're emotional in that in a human moment with boyfriends with girlfriends with children with friends is that when you're filled with that emotion we try to hide the emotion right and so the true acting thing is not when uh, Dave and I have a scene I have to cry in the scene because I tell him about my dog well the truth you know it's easy to cry in the scene and just weep but what's hard is to do what she does and does really well, which is to fill herself and then cover it the way a human being does. That's a tough trick. Wow. That's a tough acting trick is to go, I'm totally full, but I don't want you to see that I am 
full of it, David. I just don't want to. And then, you know, the people laugh through, you know, you, they're telling these horrible stories about being in Auschwitz. And they're telling in a, in a kind of laughing way. And you're going, why are you laughing? You're telling a story about being deported. The reason they're laughing is because they're trying to stay in this, like, I can't live in that emotional, dark place. And what Meryl does that's so amazing and really makes her a credible actress, she has that, uh, that ability to turn it on, fill her, 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 her vehicle, her body, and then put this thing of, I'm just going to hold it back. It makes it so human, so vulnerable, right. as opposed to just like, oh, I really can't, my dog, I love I mean, Anyone can do that, but what she has this, it's really this remarkable thing. So anyway, so I would see her prepare mm -hmm. prior to like, hey, we're talking, we're talking, and then they say, oh, we're about first positions, we're about to go, and blah, blah, blah. And Meryl would just turn away from me and just, she'd go to some place, she'd gather her ammunition, She'd get ready, she'd turn back in the scene and go, right? And everyone would wait for her. So it wasn't just like that thing we've all done, which is, hey, Dave, we're gonna do this really emotional scene. Oh yeah, hey, I fucked your dog, and hey, hey you're funny, and hey, but, uh, improv, and action. Hey, Dave, listen, the dog died, I wanted to, right? And it's just like, you get lazy that way, because you know, like, I can do enough that's gonna be fool enough people. Right. But she's like, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna, and every time she went, she would prepare it. And then the other thing, the director came over, just the two of us, and the director would come over and say, Meryl, this time when you go through, don't, when you lift the water up, don't, or don't cross your legs or sit forward, we're missing a thing, give, give her notes. The director would turn to me and Meryl, she started giving me my notes and Meryl would stand up and walk away. I was like, what the fuck is that? Am I, God, did I, immediately thinking, you know, like a, like a servant in the household, did right. I piss off the mistress? Right. But then I realized what she's doing, of course, is that she doesn't want to hear my notes. She doesn't want to hear my notes because what if the director comes in and goes, um, Peter, this time, you're gonna slap her in the face. Right. Now, if Meryl hears that, well, we may work out the slap, or even should touch her on the knee. Let's right. say, because slapping in the face is right. a huge thing, right? Got it. If she goes, this time touch Meryl on the knee when you're gonna say, then that time what happens is, and as a human thing, as an actor you go, oh, Peter's gonna to touch me on the knee. I wonder what's That's gonna make me feel pumped. Right. But Meryl so trusts her beast, her animal, I could speak in a Czechoslovakian accent, come out dressed as Batman, and slap her in the face, and she she'd do it. She'd be in. I mean, that's how much she trust she trusts her machine. But right. she doesn't want to go. I'm gonna thing, and it, which is kind of like going back to good improv, right? Because if I if we rewrite the scene, if I'm trying to write it when we're doing it, I'm not in the scene. I'm not doing it. No. So it was just blew me away because it's little things, but little things like that. So when I look at myself and of course of being an actor who works and pays bills, it's easy to not respect the work of acting because it's all about getting the work. And it really isn't about getting the work. It's about executing the work because you don't want to show up drunk. Right. You don't want to show, and people go, you asked me, like, what is the point of doing that job? Well, but I that's, didn't say, but please know that I didn't say, like, what's the point? No, but I, 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 believe me, I completely understand mm -hmm. the context of what it, the point is to get another job. <laughs> the point is, like, are these showrunners going to be running a show next season and going to go, and you're, and they're like, hey, he was funny, he was a good guy, right. I'd want to be on the show with him for three seasons. Right. There's nothing in the show other than getting paid, and I show up and we laugh in the bitch in apartment 23. That is other than I'm getting paid, I'm paying the kids' tuitions, and I'm showing the people that I enjoy, and my job is to make their life better. I'm a waiter at their wedding, I'm recurring on this show, right. so I'm not gonna be the pebble in their shoe. Right. But it is about that, it is about you know going and doing good work. Going good work, because work begets work. Right. 
So if you're if you're good at what you do and you show up and they're like, hey, dude, that could be. And Anachka Khan, who created that show, is doing another show, uh, which I'm not in. Um, but with you know, there is this kind of like you work long enough and people go, oh, dude, I don't know. Everyone else died, or they moved to Atlanta. Hire him, you know. There is an aspect of that. I think I'm joking, but it is an no, aspect of that. Well, my dad at 65 <clears throat> decided he wanted to be an actor. Oh my god! And that's, that's chutzpah. That's an old from, Roman term too. Chutzpah. I don't know. Yeah. heard it, but it sounds usable. <laughs> um, my dad wasn't. My dad was uh, an electrician oh, for his entire life. Wow, that's and then so he, awesome. I hooked him up with a. I hooked him up with a uh, with my agent in Chicago, Reese Davidson. Uh, I think it was Reese. And uh, he uh, he worked, and he hasn't stopped working. But I think he's still working. He's still working. He's eighty-two. That's amazing, yeah. dude. He's eighty-two, and he's done voiceover so, stuff. But that's and he's kind done of on like camera shit. That's a wonderful because you started as an actor before he was an actor, right? So right. he's like following your lead. He's following my lead, but he doesn't have somebody standing over him going, "Why would you want to do that?" You know, you can be an electrician. He has just you know that he. For me, he was always who saying, was standing over you saying that. My dad. No, but I mean, oh, I see, I see. My I dad see. was saying, no, I see. No, no, right, 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 right. right. My why, dad was saying, why, why do you want to do that? Right, right. No one can't work like that. You want to be an electrician like me. And I'm like, but you know, I don't want to be an electrician. But don't like you me. think, David, don't you think, because I, you know, you've talked about this issue. Many people, I mean, the interviews I talked about, like this thing of like, you know, parental, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, why don't right. go be a lawyer, go to this, you'll do that. And, right, great example. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, um, it was very cathartic for me at a point when I, because my parents, you know, actually supported me. It was never hard for me to do what I do, but, um, but I had the same kind of self thing. I mean, I think we all do, which is, am I any good? Am I a phony? Am I? Do I suck? You don't believe that anymore. Oh yeah, I do. You do. Oh fuck yeah. You do. Fuck yeah, every day. And I'll every you, day. Every day. I'm sorry. I just, I know, I know you do. Here's what I go ahead. It's but not, you know, but it's not. But it, it doesn't come to a point where it's crushing. It comes to a point where it's like an anecdotal. Like somebody comes okay. up and goes, oh, hey, by the way, you're still doing that bullshit? Are you fucking still doing it? Because one day, but it doesn't control your life in any way. It controls my life because it, it, uh, I worry about whether I'm, you know, what does it amount to? What does it mean? What is it? Besides so just paying the, bills, am I any it's good? It's the it... question. Yes, absolutely. And here's the thing. So I used to let that question fucking gnaw at me, gnaw at me. I was in New York for 10 years doing theater for no money. Um, and then I came to L.A. and became a Hollywood whore doing Herman's Head, and, mm -hmm. which was, you know, a great blessing in terms of I had two kids at the time. It mm -hmm. paid, it solved all these, you know, when you're a young person trying to be an actor, you don't think about semen going into eggs right. and making children that you have to pay for doing horrible ads, you know. <laughs> right, um, right. But that's the reality. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you're always at this point, there's this uh, balance in your life of integrity and compromise. Integrity and compromise. Oh, David, hey, they want you to be a, a tomato and, you know, like a Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie and be a dancing tomato. Tomatoes don't dance. I can't be, you know, but you're like, this is what I do for a living. Right. So I will fucking dance as a tomato because I have children, because I have this, I have a rent, I have a fucking life. Right. It's going to make me not... and. You know, and it used to let it used to eat me up. This thing, like I am not a really an artist. I am just a fucking little dancing bear that someone puts their finger in my ass like a puppet, and I just do their little thing. And I'm not really an artist. I'm not really a person like that. And and um, 
and to go back to Jack Lemon, so I'm I'm talking to Jack Lemon years ago about this, and Jack says to me, you know, Jack said, Peter, there's not a day in my life that that I'm not convinced that I'll be in my home or in my dressing room and I'll hear this. I'll answer the door and there'll be two gentlemen there in black suits and a hat. And they'll say, hi, Jack, we're from the acting police. And you're not good. Matter of fact, you're a big phony. Come with us, you're being arrested. We're gonna, and it's over, just stop it. And Jack said, I would be so relieved to see them. And I would just hold my hands out and go, yeah, but I fooled him for a while, didn't I, guys? Oh, my God. And then I just go with them into the sunset. So I'm listening to him this out-of-body experience going, here's fucking Jack Lemon telling me this story, that he has my beasts inside of him, my, my animals inside of him. And what it taught me was that the beast inside of me, the, the thing that makes me like, are you any good? You're a pussy. You're a faker. You suck. You're just phoning it in, whatever it is. That's the fire. That's the fuel. It's not the enemy. It's the it's the nuclear fuel inside. That questioning, the ambivalence, the that is so instead of like when you feel it like pushing it down, pushing it down, get away, don't I don't know, I am good, stop, get away. It's like, yeah, what's up, dude? What the fuck is up? You're part of me. You're part of what I am. It's the same thing that Meryl Streep is doing. Where she's taking those, <clears throat> she's taking those emotions, but she's quashing it down. She's pushing it, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's that pressure, tension, and dynamic that's going on where she's going, where where you're going. Mm-mm. You're feeling it, but you're going. Uh uh-uh, uh, I got this job to do, and <laughs> yeah. the voice is doing this, and you're pushing it down. She's got this horrible story that she's telling, but she's not telling the story because she's with you. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. I think in that situation, she's really that's a mechanism she's doing because it's a, her observance of human, uh, the human condition, the human birth, the human what human beings are in, right. a, in a real situation. Right. She can replicate. Right. What I, you know, I, I'm just I, saying the same. I just own it. All I just own thing. it though. Because right. for me, I, I used to fear it. When I felt those feelings, mm-hmm. it would, I'd let it gnaw at right. me. And it would like, I'd be grinding my teeth in bed at night, you know, going, what the fuck am I? And then I just realized that it is part of having an artist's soul. Right. I don't care if you're a painter, a sculptor, a fucking novelist or whatever. We all are going to question our integrity, uh-huh. our message, our but point. It's a and like how- you say, existential. Right. And that, but realizing that that all Rodin had the same existential, what the fuck am I doing? And it was Auguste Rodin, that he was somebody who'd created beauty. Right. And he had the same things and worries and anxiety at bed at night that I do. I, I and that let me off the hook. I, un- I get it, and I, I get it, and I'm glad of that. Obviously, <laughs> I'm glad of it. But what I, what I think ends up happening is that those of us who keep working go keep saying, "Yeah, that voice is there." I don't have to listen. I don't have to engage in it as much as I did when I was younger. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. It's it's a what's that that phrase in 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 um. It's an unreliable narrator. I don't have to listen to it all that much. You know what I mean? And you come to a point where it, it becomes less and less and you're distracting yourself on the job, by the job, with the job, the action mm-hmm. of engaging mm-hmm. with the energy that is you being on Madman. Sure. And I'm looking at that. And I got to tell you, I don't know what you feel about that, that but I loved, see, I loved your performance in that. And, and, and it stood out to me because it was so fucking simple. It was so simple right. and it was so connected. And you may say, "Yeah, you're a you're a dancing 
pony puppet, you know, but I don't see, because if you want to look at that and you want to look yeah. at anything else that you look at and you go, yeah, you know, I was just playing, I was just working for the man. You can look at both those things and just, right. yeah, I'm just working for the man. And they, uh, that is true. They right. both weigh the same in terms of what your paycheck, pension, and, and, sure. and health benefits are. Those both weigh the same and nobody gives a fuck about it when it comes back. Right. But at the end of the day, I watched you in that scene and you were just doing business. You were a banker mm -hmm. or something like that, right? Right. right? Well, well, bless your heart. I mean, I I don't know that anyone who doesn't know me goes looks at that episode and goes, "Wow, that dude just killed it, the banker." Um, but but I mean, to me, you know, being a character guy, that's what I do. So I don't, you know, I never started being an actor to be famous. I, the idea of being famous is actually kind of horrifying. Mm -hmm. I just I want to be just respected by my peers and right. work a lot. That's right. it, dude. I you right. know this idea that I want to. I don't know, write acceptance speeches, it's crazy. So the idea of like, that's what I do. I go in and get the banker, I'm in one scene of one episode of right. Mad Men, and my job is just to be simple, you know, because that to me I think is so much about acting, is like, you, you know, uh, we have this one scene and I thought if I can, uh, if I can put, and you see people do that, and it's right. like, dude, just right. less, 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 right. less, less, that's less, That's so less, interesting less, that you, you say less and you use that word less, um, when I was working with students, and I think I've mentioned this before, when I was working with students uh, for a program with Steppenwolf, teaching with Steppenwolf, wow, what and a great I theater. would say, just so yeah. great, and I would work with 50 actors, and, and we'd be doing improvisation, but it's non-theatric improvisation, non-theatrical improvisation, I'm mean, sorry, non-comedic improvisation, sure, sure. pardon me, non-comedic improvisation, <clears throat> and I kept saying to them, less, mm -hmm. less, yeah. and that was one of the one one moment where everyone was going, stop saying that to me. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That was one of the rare moments of existential angst where I'm thinking, what do I mean? What do I mean? Am I? Do I not know what the fuck I'm talking about? Well, then about you just say, do the scene like you just said that to me. Right, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. Because you weren't screaming, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about! But, but it's also running saying, around and making, yeah, making sure. Right, right. But it's like, let's right. bring it down, bring it down, right. bring it down. Well, it's a, you know, it's a very, it's a very hard thing, I think, because it comes, it's this thing of trust and so on. And, uh, you know, I went to NYU and I studied uh, at NYU when I was just out of high school. And that's when I started. And, and I actually was paying, I, my family had no money. So we paid, I paid my own way through NYU. And uh, I quit Jesus after Christ. I quit after a year. Well, that was it's nineteen eighty, dude. It was uh -huh. you know fifty five hundred dollars. Right. Was, you know, not fifty five thousand. Whatever. When it is I think now. about, I went to uh, I went to NIU, very yeah, different, right. Northern University, right. and it was a year total. I think it was twenty five hundred dollars. Right. Seventy seven, seventy eight. Living in an expensive village and right. so on, but but, but I studied. I studied at uh, you know. I just left because I was paying for it, and I looked at the fourth year students and. NYU really didn't have an interest in creating professional actors. They took all the actors and they jobbed them out to Stella Adler, to Lee Strasberg, oh, to really? EW, and then they gave you two days of academic class and they just took your money and then paid each studio, like, oh, Dave house, you get 14 students, we'll pay you $3,000 a year for each student. Mm -hmm. So it was a cash cow for the studios because mm -hmm. they don't have to get young, starving actors. They got this, right? But the final the product, studios. yeah, the actors. Yeah. But I studied Lee Strasberg, and I found a way because it was the last year Lee Strasberg was alive, and uh, I found a way to sneak down the fire escape and sneak in. He taught a master class once a week, and so I snuck into his class. And he died of this, you know, he had this throat cancer thing. But I remember him. He in in the class, he said to an actress who was there, who I don't know, who who 
he said, imagine, <coughs> and he had this thing, he'd go, imagine that <coughs> you feel it, <coughs> then forget you feel it, <coughs> and then show us that. <coughs> so it was this interesting, like, oh, so, and he said, he said, emotion <coughs> is like a train, uh, like a bus. <coughs> it goes by. There are people who, when they, when, and the long and the short was, he told the story of how acting is like a bus going by. And if you do not grab that bus with your hand and get on board, what you're going to do is you're going to go, hey, the bus just went by. What I'm going to do is replicate a bus and show you what that bus is and pretend to be a bus of emotion going by. If you don't have the balls to reach out when that trolley truck goes by and go, fuck it, I have no idea if I'm going to get dragged, if I'm going to live or die. Right. So that's acting. Now, that's not all of acting, but that's when acting is expensive. And so That's when acting is expensive? Yeah, when those emotions come by. Because if in the course of doing a play, 90% of the play is, oh, hey, Mr. Johnson, here's your, here's your water and here's the thing, and thank you very much. Have you seen Sicily? You haven't? But then suddenly you come to the death scene or you come to the O'Neill scene or you come to those Chekhov moments when, when things get really start sparking. Right. That's when he says, like, that emotion, that train goes by, fucking drab the trolley car. Because if you don't, you're going to be one of those actors who go, I'm going to guise everybody in the audience. I'm going to build you a trolley car. <laughs> and I'm going to show you how it... And that was such a great lesson because uh, it's about trust. Right. And it's about... And you can see people who... Your trust. Trust of you. Your trust of you. On stage. Right. On, and in plays when they go... <laughs> and right. these big pauses. That's not how people are. No. There's this sense of like you're in a heated argument with the wife, with the girlfriend, with the boss. It is bang, 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 bang. And it's like, how do you do that? And it's just that trust thing of grab the fucking thing. But it goes back and to you <clears throat> not listening to, to that voice saying no, there you you're can't. a phony no, baloney. No, no, no. There it is. You're right. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I have done enough and studied enough and feel confident enough that I know my technique will see me through. And I believe... But, but, but it's also... It's not that it doesn't there, but I can't bring that shit to the set. I know, but, I but you know how not to listen to it. You know how... It's not... Like, right Maybe, now, yeah. right now, right now, Peter, you can worry about eight things. You can worry... There are eight things weighing heavy on your mind just by being alive. Right? Sure. I don't sure, want sure. you to listen. Sure. But you're not. You're here in this moment with right, me. Right. So you are able to control that. And that voice has gotten softer and softer and softer and softer. <laughs> or it's, it's, it's become less relevant. Or because you know, and I think that it goes back to trust, that you trust your ability. You trust your artistry. You trust your power. You trust your strength. You trust your vision, your focus. You trust those things. And, and, and I know Jack Lemmon said that. But that seems like a fucked up demon that he kept holding on to. And I feel like, wow. Well, but but I would say that and I, would I also love him, by the way. And no, 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 no. But I would say that when you're working, mm -hmm. you know, you have to be able not to let that beast in the room. You can't be there yeah. working. I don't care what it is. I know doing a Butterfingers commercial, right? Or doing working with Jack Lemon. You can't let. But I'm talking that beast comes in the room when you're lying in bed. Now that's what I'm saying. See, so so. So yeah, I mean the technique of like I'm just amped up when I'm working. I'm not going to let that you, motherfucker it's the same in the room. It's the same disengagement that happens when you're about to reach the set as it does when you're sleeping. Disengagement? No, because I there I let I let the animal in. But that's what I'm saying. You're engaging with the yes. animal, and you can engage with the animal when you're about to get your to, when you're about when they they say action. Uh, yeah. 
You could still do both those things at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I just don't. I mean, you that to don't. me is, is murder. If you but do, lying you're killing... in bed is fucking murder. It is too, worst. it is. But that's what I'm saying. For me, the catharsis was realizing that it wasn't an animal that was trying to kill me. It was part of me. Got it. And so it wasn't a... Dest- I felt it for years was this destructive fucking thing. That those questions, the fears, the gnawing was the enemy. And I realized it's not the enemy. Right. It is me. Right. It's, it's, it's the fuel. It's what makes me, you know, look at what we do is so competitive, dude. Mm-hmm. What we do is so competitive that they're, you know, when I, I started having babies at the age of 24 years old. Mm-hmm. So I, it changed me from like, I went from being, I don't give a shit. If, uh, I, don't, I was like, I have to kill everyone in this fucking room. <laughs> I have to kill you all to get this Chevy ad or to get this checkoff. Plan. Right. So what it made me do was be, you know, I, actors, we, we, you know, we use the term loosely as an artist, but, you know, we are interpretive artists. We're not creative artists. Our creativity comes in, Dave Rosowski's written this script. I, you know, uh, and, and I have a line which is, hey, come on in, sit down. Now, I can creatively say that in a way, interpret that line and go, hey, come on in, sit down. Right. Now, that could be funny or not funny or horrible or just like, hey, come on in, sit down, right? So it's just, I'm interpreting your words. So our creativity comes in like, what is it we are interpreting? What is it we are creating? Mm -hmm. But that creativity allows us a lot of room to to work, I think. And that's where, you know, you make your bread and butter. Because especially in this town, in sitcoms, if you can take the line, hey, come on in, have a seat. Funny that producers and writers don't see it as funny, you'll you'll work forever. Right. And not with being sticky or being something just like that's what I can do. Or I can I think it's funnier if I just say, sit down, heavy ass, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's this interpretive thing that but we do. But it is do. true that it's, it is an interpretive art. Right, not creative. The, there's creativity in it. But what we do is interpretive. We are interpretive dancers to someone else's choreography, which the choreography is words, you know. So what I was saying is that what I can control, knowing that, that I became this, like I had kids, I had diapers I had to get. The one thing I can control about being an actor is how prepared I am. Right. Right? I can't control. Believe me, I, when, when I left NYU, I worked as a casting director's assistant, and right. I worked as an agent. So I was an agent for four years. My education, what, my college, agency do I as Susan Smith, Susan Smith Agency, who just died, rest in peace, last year, uh, this year. She died in uh, three, four months ago. But she was like my mom, and I learned all my Yiddish from her. Mm-hmm. Um, Smith's a big Jew name. Big Jew name. Um, um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, it taught me about lessons about acting that I could never have learned if I went to state and NYU. Right. Um, and so I am so prepared. Now, I don't give a shit what it is. I am so prepared when I go in that room. I have an audition for this, for X, which is all the way down to you know a guest spot to a movie. I'm going to fucking bang that out. I'm going to come in with three different ways to do that role. Right. I mean, three different ways so that if... I don't want to have that thing come in and they go, that little chat before you audition, they go, hey, David, what's up? Hey, how have you been? I loved you in the thing. And, oh, listen, by the way. 
<laughs> right? And then you go, oh, I'm fucked because all my, I did this as a German, right. you know? Right. Now I'm fucked because I'm hearing the rhythms and right. so on. And so, you're also doubting, <clears throat> like, why did I spend so much time doing that? Why didn't they tell me that? What, what's yeah. wrong with my, my, which is, my which is, which is that? Right, which is useless at the time. You can right. scream at them on the way home. Exactly. But for me, you know, I just don't want to be caught off guard. So right. it's, it's usually a gradation like of, does he hate this character? All right, let's do it like he fucking hates David Zaski. I'm right. going to do the whole scene like I just want to fucking kill you, kill your family. And then we'll do like, we'll put that needle like at a 50%. Like I don't, and then we're going to do it even though it's written the other way. I'll just prep it like, he's the funniest guy. And David, I want to fire you. I can't. I fucking hate your guts. Right, right. But you fucking, because there's a, there, and then suddenly out of those three preparations, There'll be a way to do it. There'll be a way to do it, and that's what I mean. So, I don't always get the job, obviously, but I'm not unprepared. And, and, and there's also something about the interpretation that you just expressed. Those, those, the, 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 uh, the interpretation. All three of those, we'll say, interpretations mm -hmm. that you just expressed. That is so inspiring to the room, to the director, to the writer in that way, saying, I didn't see it in that way. Right. I am going to. So at that moment, you are a collaborative. You are collaborative. It's also kind of cunning. It's really, frankly, it's kind of cunning because mm -hmm. I want to go and go like, this is all screaming. This is the drill. I mean, I, I don't go in for drill instructors, but the drill instructor is, you know, and then that's right. all you can do because right. it's written that way. But I think that if you find those moments that aren't drill instructors, that right. are the other thing, mm -hmm. then you then they do pay off in silver dollars often. Absolutely. Uh, because you can find another way to go in. You be hot when they want cold, be cold when they want hot. Right. And you can't always do that because then there's a part of people going, wow, he's not, he's afraid of being angry, isn't he? He's a pussy, which sometimes screws you. But that's what I mean. See, having worked in casting, I got to say, this is an acting lesson that I learned by working in casting. That a couple of things. <clears throat> Dave Rosowski cannot get the job. Peter McKenzie cannot get the job because he looks like the guy who's fucking my ex-wife. Right. Because he's too tall, because he's too short, because our lead is is too Jewish and right. too short. And, and so, 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 uh, years ago I was a casting uh, assistant. I was the guy who went, oh, is it Rosowski or Rosowski? What is it? It's Rosowski. Let right. me, everybody, this is Dave Rosowski. Right, that was me. I was the schmuck going, give me the thing and hey, come on in. And so and it was for a musical. It was for, uh, I probably shouldn't say the director's name, but it was for a big, big Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. And they had all these women come in. And all these women came in and there's this woman came in. She had a fur stole on and uh, it was, you know, a huge Broadway production. And she, had, she was on tour in Germany doing opera. And she was, it could have been, I don't know, Lena Horne. I mean, it could have been Dame. I don't know who she was, but she was a big macha film uh, opera star and I bring her in the room and I go everybody this is right. big this is right. big macher and right. and this is here she is and and this director sends her and goes oh my god Julia thank you thank you she canceled she took a time out from her opera tour to come to audition and he goes I'm so glad you did this it just means the world to me what are you know tell me what they chat they chat they chat what are you gonna do she goes I'm gonna sing America the Beautiful 
perfect. He sits down. It's one of those things, very much like a Hollywood situation, where one guy, the juice, which in this case was the director, was looking at her. Everyone else, and there was a bank of maybe 15 people, the producers, the casting directors, everybody else, who were looking at her, but also looking at him right. to register their emotions sycophantically. Like, right. does he like her? Does he hate her? Do I like her? Do I hate her? You know, whatever. So there was this weird energy in the room. She sings America the Beautiful like this, like America. Horrible for the musical. Horrible. She goes through the whole goddamn thing. He stands up and he goes, Goosebumps! Goosebumps! You have given me goosebumps. And everyone else stands up sycophantically, like following and clapping. And this is unbelievable. What you did, that was a gift. You have given us a gift. That was unbelievable. Am I wrong? It was no, that was unbelievable. Everyone was sucking her ass and kissing her ass. And he goes, Listen, the director goes, Listen, here's the thing. We open in three weeks, which means, I mean, sorry, we start rehearsal in three weeks, which means you have to get you out of your contract in Germany. Uh, we need to get you in wigs. We need to get you a dance teacher. We need to find a place for you to live here because I know you're living in London. Right? This thing, all this thing goes out. And she's like, yeah, well, no, I can do this. I absolutely. And, she, and he kisses her and he goes, everybody, thank you. Am I right? Thank you. He sees her to the door. He shuts the door and he turns and he goes, who brought that cunt in here? <laughs> right? <laughs> So I'm slack-jawed. I'm an 18-year-old kid, and I've just been visited by Satan. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be an actor at that point, but to this day, to this day, when I go to an audition, in the, in the, um, if the analogy is like, my audition is music, so I'm going to, comp- I'm, not, I'm not musical at all, but just in the, I'm going to, comp- my audition is a piece of music, so I'm going to go into the room, we're going to small, small chat, and then they say, oh, say, Peter, Peter, what's your piece of music? And I'm going to go, and then I'm going to leave the room, and, and I'm not going to, you know, when they go, hey, you have to come here and get wigs, and you got to move, because they're going to say, who brought that cunt in here? So anything they say to me, which is awesome, that was so great. All See, this is what I mean. All I'm focused on is what music did I compose, right? What is my music in my hands? Right. And did I, in the room, perform it? Right. Because I know, I know, like, oh, I went, I missed a second note. Fuck, I missed that second note. <laughs> oh, I did, and I missed that note. But mm-hmm. that's okay. I don't mind. I know that that's it's rare that you actually give 100%. Like, sometimes you fucking kill it, right? Right. But even if I kill it, they may be looking for ragtime, and I was playing jazz, right. you know? Right. And there's no fucking rhyme or reason. But the point is that of that horrible cunt story is that nothing they say do I believe. Right. I can only hold on to my composition and my execution of the composition. Right. Everything else is bullshit. I think so many people want to have that time machine to go back in time and to change things, but it fucking doesn't matter. No. None of that matters. No. And and really what they think of you doesn't matter. It's how do you feel about how do you feel walking out of that room saying that was it? Because all that you can do is be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you kick yourself in the ass because you know. David, you know, you're in that room and you go, and you know, I fucked that joke up. Right. I, I, I bumbled a line right. or I didn't emphasize this and I fucked the joke up. Right. And so I don't blame them. They shouldn't give me the fucking job. Right. And I'm not going to go back and do it. But okay. But there are other times you don't. So there are, you know, those own meters in yourself. And the other times you go, I fucking killed that. Right. And you don't get the job. So there's no rhyme or reason. All you can do. And it keeps me kind of sane. Because I, this is what I mean. It's an acting lesson, which is compose your music, 
trust the music, right. go in and do the music. Right. You're not going to do the music all the time. I don't really kick myself in the ass because I want to do the music as I composed it. Right. But even if I don't, it doesn't often, that's not what kills you. No. It's like, oh, he's too tall. He's uh, He looks like my ex-husband's boyfriend or my guy who's fucking my daughter. Right. Or, you know, so it has nothing to do with it. And you have to have so such a thin skin because there are times you're in the room just going, you can't have thin skin is what you're saying. You said sorry, you have to, sorry. You yes. have to have thick skin. Right. You just have to like, I don't, I, I so want this job right. for a number of reasons. Either it's, Milos Foreman and I want to fucking I do this right. job for free. Right. But if you say I do this job for free, they go schmuck, leave. Right. You're not going to hire. Right. But there's you know you want it or to the guest star on on CSI Miami. Right. You want the job to pay the bills. It doesn't matter what your want is. You want it. Right. So fucking you have this incentive to to prepare it, to go in to execute it, and you leave. And it's like either they're going to call it or they're not. Dude. And 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 here's the thing. That's the existential experience. For me, it's that thing of, I only have to deal with me. And what you think about me is none of my business. All that I know yeah. is I went in there, I knew the lines, I executed it the way that I said it, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people go, going back to, this is going to be the one gig that I'm going to do where everybody, where, the, where the, the acting police are going to come. They're going to see it. They're going to see it in that moment. That's the moment they're going to see it. Or somebody, you know, you start believing what it is that somebody's saying to you, whether that stuff is he's great or he blows, those both, again, weigh the same thing because they're both somebody else's interpretation. Yeah. And you've got to wake up with yourself in the morning and say, do I like me? I've got to say, it's always confusing to me um, when people say, yeah, I just, I, I can't stand the rejection. I can't stand people hating me. Well, I've never once thought people hate me. People don't hire me. I was just having been in those rooms. I'm just like, dude, you're in this room because we like you. Right. You're not getting in this room because, oh, I fucking hate that Dave Rosowski. Right, let's call it in. Oh, let's call it. Right. Sucker. No, dude. No. You're in here. Like, so it doesn't, I mean, it, I think there's this odd kind of math done, like people fucking hate me and the rejection and they hate me and right. they hate me and they're like, how can you possibly stay being an actor? Because that is destroying you. Like, That's what I'm talking about, about the engagement of, and you, you call it the beast, letting the beast in the room. That's what you call it. For me, I call it letting the ego in the room. And for me, the ego is always that tiny little you at your worst in your history. Right. For me, it was big nose, buck teeth, going through adolescence. That's what my avatar looks like outside the door. Sure. You know, and that person, that little boy is always outside the door. And that little that little guy that that guy that has so much so, so much low self esteem, right. and I have a choice of either bringing him in and commiserating with him right. or not. Right. And here's the thing: he's always at the door, man. Yeah, he's always there. He is because he's you. And here's he's, another thing: because he's you, I have to have mercy on him. But think about this: let's say in a world you could wave a magical wand and remove the little Dave Rosowski outside the door. Right? Do you think in a world? that you would be better for that? No, no, you're worse for it. Right. So the little guy outside there is what makes you good. It it's what make, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he chews your nutsack right. and he beats your penis with a hammer. Right. All in the same one. But that is, I mean, they do both those things. He makes you individual and you and passionate and pissed off and angry and wanting it and having a fucking fire in your belly. And he makes you frightened and scared and vulnerable and <laughs> sad and all these things. Right. But I mean, would right. you want a world where that didn't exist? It's just like, you got to stay sane and walk through the world, not hurt anybody. <laughs> you can't be crazy, man. But, you know, 
it's just letting that guy in and just letting him, you know, recognizing that he is all of you. So I love it. I don't know. Good. We're going to stop there. That was really good. We're stopping there. Okay, great. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. If you'd like to see one of Dave's improv shows or one of my stand-up shows, you can get that information at addcomedy.com. If you want to take a class with Dave, that information is located on his website at davidrozowski.com. You can also follow Dave on Twitter at drozowski. Today's episode was sponsored by Troubadour, a restaurant movie. A new movie by Group Mind Films, portraying an accurate, sometimes funny, and sometimes cringe-inducing glimpse at restaurant life. Troubadour, a restaurant movie. Available to watch in its entirety online for only $5 at groupmindfilms.com.